0: It's Guild Ball tonight. Your independent source for Guild Ball news, information, and conversation. Episode fifteen for June thirtieth, two thousand fifteen. All right. Yes, and welcome to another episode of Guild Ball tonight. Now I'll be your host, Phil, and joining me tonight is uh, my co-host, Bill. How you doing, Bill? I'm doing well, doing well. How are you doing, Phil? I am as well as can be, given the fact that I'm sitting in a house in Florida with no air conditioning. So, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> and, and for
1: those who don't know, Florida has the same temperature band as, say, I don't know, this time of year probably feels like the Sahara. Yeah, it's oh, horrible.
0: <laughs> it's a lot more humid than the Sahara, though. I just I live in a swamp. All right, so <laughs> so we're going to be doing uh, some news stories from. From the last couple of weeks, and it has been a, a busy and eventful couple of weeks, and uh, it's been a busy and eventful day, to be honest. But we'll cover all that soon enough. And then we'll uh, we'll talk about some match experience. We will uh, we'll bring you details about the first Guild Ball tonight contest, which should be should be good times. Isn't that where we need that
1: Echo contest? 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 <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: once in a prizes, lifetime. prizes, prizes, glittering prizes, no less. <laughs>
1: So then uh then we're going to have
0: an interview with uh with Jamie P about uh about playtesting and also just some some general tactics which some of us can use more than others. And then we'll wrap up with uh some Twitter questions as always. So let's go ahead and uh get the show moving with the with the news. So uh uh for those of you who are uh, really uh, fanatical about this game, you now have an opportunity to put that fanaticism to work, and by that we mean that they have started to take applications for the pundit program, which is getting off the ground uh, as we speak, really. now we don't have all of the all of the details yet with regards to the pundit program, I guess that they are still being finalized and prepared for presentation to us. However, we do know that they are looking for people who, uh, have a, you know, a strong dedication to the game, people who are interested in and willing to get out into the public and demo the game, people who will go, uh, present the game to retail stores, people who can organize and run tournaments, you know, whatever sort of support you can provide for guild ball in that semi-official capacity as a pundit, uh, you will be able to, to do that and, and get some recognition for doing so. So, if this is a thing which interests you, then what you're going to want to do is go ahead and, uh, send in an application and you can, you can get all the details on that from the, uh, the, the Guild Ball Facebook page has that information as well as the Guild Ball forums. So now Bill, you've done some of the, some of the, uh, and volunteer in, support yeah. in the past. Uh, what kinds of what kinds of duties have you had to to undertake in that in that role? So,
1: so typically in these types of programs, there's a whole range. But what they're what most of the companies who run these programs are looking for is um, a store champion. Right? It's that person in your local meta. Who shows up regularly at the store on game night, is always willing to give demos to new players, uh, has some demo teams, and and wants to teach new people the game, wants to get people playing the game. Uh, I know when I was doing it, I always ran. um, I tried to be very regular in running events and getting out to do uh, demo nights, so... You know, I worked with my local store to advertise when would I be out, when would we have models out for people to demo. I'd get contacted from the local store if somebody showed up to buy models. And then the really big thing was really being that organizer for the organized play events. So, you know, I think, I, I will say this, most people, in, at least in the U.S., who go out to a store, and over in the U.K., most people who are getting involved in, in their local clubs the pundit is going to be, for Guild Ball, very similar to that guy who is the press ganger for War Machine, that guy who's constantly running War Machine tournaments and the next steamroller and the next campaign, and, hey, let's get together and do a game day, and, um, you know, I, I, I have this new cool setup. Let's uh, take a look at what the new models are and, and get them on the table. Um, that's really the type of person they're looking for. So
0: I think that uh, I think that there should be plenty of plenty of people willing to to take that plunge. And, you know, if we just get one for every substantial group, uh, yeah. we should be well and into business. So if you are if you're interested, you know, go ahead and take a look at the uh, like I said, the the forums, the, the official Facebook, those those places will get you the the information that you need to get started. And. I expect that we will be uh we'll be hearing more details, more fine details about the program in the near future and we'll certainly be bringing you a lot more information on it here on this show in the future. So
1: Well, Kilball has gone out and they appointed a guy. You know the name better than Paul I do. Paul North is Paul the, North, yeah.
0: He is the the individual who is leading the leading the charge and uh we should be hearing Lots more about the program from him
1: in the uh, in the near future. And the key there is they have somebody that's heading up the program, mm-hmm. right? So that's usually the first step. Is uh, there's there's always a group of people that are interested in helping out, but you know, having somebody that's willing to herd the proverbial cats right. is important.
0: One also somebody who isn't the already overworked
1: uh,
0: Matt or right. Rich.
1: So I think that
0: was a good a good pickup there in, in Psh, as, overwork. Much as they're able to, uh,
1: They're so busy they haven't told us what the, uh, hunters look like yet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, they've not. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that they're acutely aware of that fact uh, and, uh, relishing the, relishing the torment, so...
1: Yeah, I think it's the relishing the torment. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the bad part. Yeah.
0: All right, so some, uh... Some some correction, in fact, from the Phil was wrong on Guild Ball Tonight file, but this time it's honestly not my fault.
1: So, now Phil, I, I want to say uh, ahead of time, it was very fun watching your stickies fly up to the video screen. <laughs> if no hey, visual seen this yet, I hope you haven't taken it down. No, of course not. <laughs> in, in fuzzy film math, yes, fuzzy film
0: math. <laughs> it's not my not my strong suit. So. So in the uh, in the interview that Matt and Rich had given to the Epic FM podcast back during the Games Expo uh, a month or so ago, they had said in that interview that there were going to be 48 players in Season 2, which just blew everybody's mind because it seemed like such a big number. Well, we all got really excited about speculating on how you get to 48 players. And I even went so far as to make a video where I I explained how one might get to 48 players, you know, one plausible scenario. And um, it had visual aids. And the, the word has come down that there are, in fact, only 40 players in Season 2. It wasn't that they misspoke at the time, it's just that they've decided to pull something back to Season 3 because they want to give it a little bit more time to to be sort of ready for the ready for the game. The number forty is still very interesting because if you just cut off the last couple of minutes of my, my rant on how you get to forty eight, because I got to forty. Yep. But there's still a lot of wiggle room inside of that forty for some really interesting things to happen. And I can tell you I will tell you this much. I will tell you this much. There is at least one number that I presented in that video that I know for a fact was wrong. And it's really cool why it's wrong. But I'm not going to tell you what number that was. Because I too can be mean. (laughs) So, uh, 40 is the number that we're working with. Now, 40 miniatures, that is a lot of figures for season two. I, um, you know... I'm barely going to have season one done being painted when season two comes out, if I'm even that far in. What are we going to do with 40 more figures? So the way that we know this is going to break down in broad strokes, if not specific numbers, because I'm not going to go down the specific number track again. But what we do know and what we've known for a long time is that there's going to be a new captain for every team. Yep. We also now know that there's going to be another a new mascot for every team so that's going to be that's going to be great so we're going to have that option to to pick a new captain and a new mascot or combine the old and the new and get those new play styles and those new team selection uh, math that we're going to have to come up with so that's all going to be very interesting now they've also said that they're going to add one entirely new player To each team.
1: And we've seen a couple of sculpts of those guys. Right.
0: So, you know, we talked about Tenderizer and Sakana in the past. Yeah. Those are among the entirely new players.
1: And and I got to say, Phil, I mean, there's eight teams out there. Yeah. With eight teams, three players, uh, you know, three uh, between those three models we're talking about. Yeah. That's already at 24. Getting to 40 is not that tough.
0: I know it's not tough at all, especially since... You can add about another eight players because, and this is one of the things that I personally think is really cool. They are going to do a season two version of one player on every team. So they're going to take a player like Boiler or Harmony or, you know, Any player, you know, I just picked those, not because I know anything, but because they're young players. So I assume that they've got a lot of room for growth in the fluff. So they would obviously make excellent candidates for evolved players, but they're going to take one player from each team and they are going to give us a new version with a new card, a new sculpt. And the way that these will work is that you are only going to be able to field, One of any given player in your team. So let's say, for the sake of argument that they do Boiler, Season 1 Boiler, Season 2 Boiler. You're only going to be able to field one Boiler. It's still one person in the game context. So, you can field the one or the two, but not
2: both.
1: Now I have to admit, I really hope that the advancing or the maturing, however we want to call this, the evolving character for the Union mm-hmm. is not um, um, what is it, trip-worthy snakeskin? You know, <laughs> she, she's stationary, can be set anywhere on the field, <laughs> and she is, uh, she counts as difficult ground.
0: Yes, well, you know,
1: <laughs> they're, they're
0: <laughs> when you kill a player off, you do sort of limit their availability for next season. So... Yeah, so we we'll, it'll be interesting to see who they who they tap to tap to evolve because you know, there these aren't going to be cases where players are becoming better because that would that would interfere with the balance of the game. So these are just going to be cases right. where players are becoming different. So, you know, one of the players that I think might be really interesting in this in this role might be somebody like brisket because we were left with brisket at the end of the season 1 fluff, you know, uh on Def's door. You know, there could be dramatic changes to the game that Brisket plays and the, the abilities she has and the role that she has in the team if, you know, perhaps she simply was not as mobile as she used to be due to injuries. Yeah. So, you know, they've definitely got a lot of room to to reimagine and reinvent players, give them new roles within teams. It's not just the case that they would be making players better as they evolve. They may actually, you know, use opportunities presented within the storyline to to simply change what a player does. You know, they could move from a, a striker to a defender or, you know, that sort of changes. So it'd be really interesting to see who they pick and what they do with those players. You know, one of the one of the uh Things that I would like to see are those those younger youth players sort of evolve over the next three or four seasons and maybe, you know, even see a few of them end up as captains in the storyline because I think it would just be nice to have that sort of um, – that lineup of figures and cards to choose from where you say, you know, am I going to play Captain Boiler today or am I going to play Kid Boiler today? Hmm. So, I mean, I think that, that that's just one of the one of the really fun and interesting things that we've got sort of in this game that, that we, you know, inside of the parameters that it, it sort of works in. So, yeah, it's a really interesting system. So that gets us up to a certain point, and then you can basically just drop in the Hunter's Guild. And however many players they're going to have, it doesn't seem like they would launch them with six, but I don't think that they're going to be launching as full... Rostered as the older teams, so there may still be some some disparity Somewhere. in yeah in uh, model counts. You know, maybe they don't have their new captains yet. You know, we might have to wait till season three to get the season two teams all captain. You know, it, it's uh, it is it is uh, all in the math. You know, there's a lot of ways that you can. You know, maybe combine those categories and, and and slide one number down to get another number up, and <laughs> you know you can just sit here with a spreadsheet and and play prognosticator all day and trying to figure out what uh, what 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 they've got
1: going on. But and while at that this is point you don't know, yeah. <laughs> while that is fun at work, when you are when you are dealing once you've you know finished your work for the day. Take your models and go play some games with the season one. (laughs) Oh, yeah, because season one is still a lot of fun without all this new stuff. But,
0: (laughs) all right, so uh, where were you today at about uh, 3 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, Bill?
1: Well, I was prepping for Guild Ball tonight. No, actually, I was stuck (laughs) working. So, but I do notice that uh and, and luckily, I get to work from home from time to time i I did uh get in my little uh guild ball alert popped up it's sort of like the bat signal, <laughs> and um I went online and picked up a couple of things out of the locker room, the locker room all right so so what what happened today uh late
0: afternoon, our time evening uh rich's time when he was putting all this stuff in is that a boatload of stuff
1: showed up in the Guild Ball store. I have to admit, I really thought they were trolling us because it was only (laughs) shortly after you posted on Twitter saying, if you have questions or anything you want us to say on the Internet.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So So, I know, I know. And then, like, everybody just got dramatically distracted by going and buying stuff. Because, okay, so what what showed up in the store today? So... I think the uh, starting from maybe the the longest lived to the shortest lived. so in the longest lived category, they have now broken out the contents of the starter boxes. So whereas before, there were three players that were only available in the starter box, and you would buy the individuals of the rest of the players on a roster. Now you can get all six or seven players from a given roster in Eventually. singles. And what that means for those of us in Kickstarter land is that the retail captain uh, alternates are now available as singles. So if there's a couple that you particularly like the looks of, you can now do that. I picked up, um, I picked up uh, honor and Midas because those are the two teams that I'm playing the most and i happen to like both the kickstarter and the retail version of both of those so i'm just going to have them both because completionist and because <laughs> you know i'll be able to just sort of pick one or the other from game to game you know i don't i don't think that uh either of them are
1: better or worse than the other, but they're different, then I think that's awesome. Now please remember, Phil, just because you have two Midas's does not mean you can field them both <laughs> in the same game.
0: Oh, that would be so awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, as a very nice move, not only can you pick up those captains in, um, in metal and pick up those individual, and pick up regular individual models, however... Yeah. There is a new section in the store called the resin miniature section. Yeah. And well, for at least a period of time <laughs> <laughs> there were, you know, anywhere between five and a dozen models available of all these resin models extras from the Kickstarter. Yep. Now they have this wonderful little thing in the Guild Ball store, where there's little green dots, like a little green light that says "Buy Me," yeah. and and it says how many are left in stock. And then they have these little red lights that say "Unavailable." Yeah, and those red a, lights
0: are flicking on and off. All day. Yeah, well,
1: just off. There in it. a tremendous wave. Yeah, <laughs> they, they went from off. Green, a lot
0: of those have gone from green to red. So, Minx gone in a flash i know a lot of people are still desperately trying to get a hold of that minx miniature because at this point it's only been available in resin rich does assure us that it's going to be available in metal in due time but uh i know a number of people had the opportunity to to pick up that piece today
1: um and I really think that just means that anybody that has a minx model since it's not available in metal and and only a few select people have got the resin it, it's got to be illegal to play it. <laughs> well, I think, I think actually
0: at this point, it is <laughs> not considered a tournament legal model because it has never been sort of officially sufficiently available. I think we need to get a Ooh. we might we might get corrected on that, uh, but I believe the last the last I heard. On minx was that she was not yet considered tournament legal because she was not yet sort of really available so might not be until the medals release that she is right. that she is tournament legal or at least at official tournaments if you're running your own tournament you can still do whatever you want so right so we've got this whole resin section, but that's still not all they did today because above the resin miniatures section the locker room has popped back up now the locker room of course is where we've been buying the limited edition convention figures like uh limited edition Kraken yes. limited edition boiler well that section is back today with
1: a vengeance what they and, and I have to say the most important thing in here, Phil, yeah. is the sev- As we're recording, yeah. the seven Guild Ball patches left.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I almost bought one of those actually because I got the, <laughs> I've got the uh, you know I've got that canvas uh, shell for my uh, my KR yeah. cases and I was like you know that would look awfully good on my little shell and then I kind of forgot to buy it when I was buying stuff. So oh, I you have to go and it put it an There may be uh, six of them available by the time the show is over. Uh, some interesting things in here. If you did not get Kickstarter captains, you have an opportunity, briefly, in some cases, to get your metal and resin. Kickstarter Captain poses. They yes. It would appear that they are trying to get rid of the get rid of the the extra stock from the Kickstarter of these because I don't know what else they would do with them. Maybe prize support, but you know it ranges from ranges from two metal obuluses up to a uh, hundred and sixty two metal honors. So you know, fill in your fill in your favorite player in between, although some of them are already going. Uh, some of them are already gone. Tapper is gone in metal.
1: Which is surprising to me. The metal Tapper was gone, but the resin one still has six. Yeah, well, we
0: we just don't know how many they, they had left from yeah, Kickstarter true. fulfillment, ultimately. All right, so in addition to those, those Kickstarter poses, which um, I know a lot of people who... Uh, we're not in the Kickstarter who have been really itching to to try to find a way to get those those Kickstarter captains just as a collectible um, are probably very excited about that opportunity. And there was a lot of there was a lot of shouting about that on the on the social media today. <laughs> yes. Even before even before it was officially announced that such a thing had been done, people were taking to the sticking to the tubes and and letting others know. Now, they have also made, in addition to the metal and, and resin captains, they've made sleeves for the rule books available separate from the books. So for those of us who did not get a sleeve with our Kickstarter rule books, but who would like to have that... Piece of swag or protection for the book, or make it so it stands upright on the sh- on your shelf very nicely. You can go in and for four pounds, you can get a sleeve. Uh, that's cool. Uh, they also have art cards now. <laughs> not not a hundred percent sure what what the art cards uh, are other than collectibles. I I believe I have one because I have this odd strange. Uh, White card with a picture of Blackheart on it that showed up in one of my boxes, <laughs> probably not fell really. off a shelf.
1: <laughs> I, I, I really wonder if you, you know, if you asked Matt and Rich nicely if yes. they would send you the framed card of Flint to go next <laughs> to your poster of Flint. Hey, uh,
0: okay, you know, <laughs> it's not it's it's not an obsession; it's fandom. <laughs> I, I, I understand.
1: I understand.
0: So, so yeah, so you can get the art cards for, uh, for the teams. And, uh, so yeah, there's, there's lots of goodies. So you've got, you've got singles, you've got resin players, you've got Kickstarter limiteds, you've got rule book sleeves, you've got patches. There was a, and along with all of this was a restock of everything else. Um, oh, but wait, there was one more thing that they added, And you can still get, looks like most of them are still available. Those uh, guild-specific dice Dice. are back in stock for a limited time only. They're in uh, low double digits for most of the teams. But they, uh, they have been a thing that a lot of people have been really clamoring to get a hold of. So if you were... Disappointed that you did not get your guild dice the first time they were available. They are back in stock, and I know that they are looking for a way to to keep that stock flowing, but for the moment, there may be another interruption in store, so if you do want them, go get them now. But they have also uh, re-upped the availability for all those starter sets and individual players that... Uh, you know, in metal, and the the tokens are uh, they are scheduled to be released uh, at the end of
1: the week. So well, tokens are at the end of the week. The uh, plot cards are mm-hmm. at the end of the week. Mm-hmm. So and the official template set. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's week.
0: crazy times for buying Guild Ball stuff. We have got. You know, for, uh, for a game that we spent so many months just waiting to be able to get anything, we can now
1: suddenly get a lot of things. <laughs> right. Now, the last thing, I, I think, from a news standpoint and buying that I want to make sure to mention, um, and I'm going to feel really bad if in between us recording this and releasing this, just in that short amount of time, it ends up closing out, but... I actually was emailing with, um, with Matt the other day, and the, the backer kit for the mats. we talked about this in the last episode, I believe, mm-hmm. that is still open. So even though a lot of people have fi- finalized their orders, yeah. if you have a friend and you want to get a guild, the Guild Ball team sort of at that discount, mm-hmm. get a hold of your friend mm-hmm. as soon as possible. Yeah, and have them add it definitely. to the backer kit before that backer kit closes because that's gonna be closing any day now um mm-hmm. basically the news that I got um basically I'm trying to find it here I mean effectively it came down to you know they will let us know when they're closing it however mm-hmm. they are very much moving towards waiting for the bulk of the the bulk of the um the backers to finish up, and as, um, here it is. We are planning on closing the backer kit as soon as the majority of backers have completed their surveys. Right. No concrete date beyond that. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, we do know that they have... Uh, they are still pegging the end of July for the release of the, the mats, both yes. to the backers and then into retail, retail. availability. So and i will I will say uh, this is a question that a lot of people asked, and I did get a definitive answer on this, and uh see no reason why it should be a secret so one of the things about the mystery boxes that a lot of people at, had been asking and had not been uh, uh broadly visibly answered was whether or not the contents were exclusive to the different sizes or whether they rolled up together so in other words whether the one pound mystery boxes content was on in the 10 pounds and then that 10 pounds content was then in the 20 Mm -hmm. or whether there was something unique for each one and if you wanted to get everything you needed to buy one of each so the word i got was that it was in fact a roll up so the 20 pound contains not only something that is unique to it but the contents of the smaller ones below it so and promptly after
1: that Phil's credit card said oh thank god
0: (laughs) because I was I was ready to buy the rest of them because I was really starting to feel bad about only getting the big box I was like oh maybe I need those other boxes too because it could be art cards or something and um (laughs) uh touche sir (laughs) touche And uh well come on, it's a one pound mystery box.
1: <laughs> and, but it's gonna be an influence token. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It'll be and, a momentum token because those aren't available yet. That's exactly. the only way you're I'm gonna sorry. get one of those. So But the, only one. Only one. one. Yeah, well that's all that's all the momentum you need, right? Well, so if, if you're union. <laughs> so the uh got derailed. By that. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> I, I'm I'm here to serve. Uh, yes, yes. You, so you, I, your I, work here is done.
1: Exactly. <laughs> so 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 all the boxes will roll up. So if right. you get the box, right. you get so, all. So yeah. So
0: if you <laughs> if if you've been uh, perseverating over that fact, and that's been keeping you from finalizing your your order, go ahead and take that information and do with it what you will. Yes. All right, so boy, that is a lot of retail news. But isn't it great
1: that we have retail news? Uh, I, I mean, I'm remembering the days that we were wishing for retail I know.
0: news. And apparently, the uh, the Kickstarter has now been is now considered uh, officially completely fulfilled based on the uh, the update we got just a couple hours ago from uh, from Rich on the Kickstarter uh, thread. So. Which is good very, for them. They are now officially in, into the second phase of Guild Ball's life,
1: and towards that second phase, they have shown the art for the Alchemist Guild alternative captain.
0: Yeah. So, art and name, but no details. So this character is called Smoke, and you're going to have no trouble finding a picture of it because everybody on Twitter has now retweeted it. Yes and uh it's a really cool looking player, you know I mean i gotta say those are some big shoes to fill because once once I found out how good Midas was, he was immediately my second favorite player in the game, and uh you know smoke's got a smoke's got a job to be to be the uh the captain that, that plays behind Midas, but we can you know, based on what we're what we're seeing here, which is a a player who is standing in a a cloud of oddly smoke. enough smoke, yeah, and uh, festooned with festooned with vials and looking uh, fairly menacing. You know, I, I think it's I think it's easy and appropriate to speculate that this will probably be a, be a captain who maybe plays on conditions a bit more than than Midas did. And that really presents a, a completely different team selection choice for the alchemists, and I think that's what we're going to see with with probably all of these alternate captains for for the teams. Is that they really present you with a different a, a different focus for the team? I mean, that's what they've been saying all along. And so, you know, uh, in, in the case of the alchemists here, where where Midas is a captain who really. Excels at running a team of fast players who maybe don't focus as much on conditions as effects. You know, smoke might be the player that that you know maybe he he buffs or enhances what players like calculus and mercury are doing with conditions and Hmm. and turns them into a more focal. Uh, tactic, you know, idle speculation. Of course, so you, you, I, on this on this count, I I absolutely know nothing. I'm not even I'm not even trying to to pull yeah, a wool over um, anybody's I eyes. I mean, from
1: that guess, right? So then you're thinking more. It's of an educated a, guess. More of a what? A smoke calculus catalyst? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe um, hemlock.
0: Right, people who can throw conditions around or make the most of them. So maybe Hmm. maybe it's a captain who gets a little bit more out of catalyst than Midas does. But and that would be, you know, I think that would be a that would be a lot of fun to be able to Yeah. To take a team that that's really, really good at doing one game style with you know, a lineup right now. Because, you know, right now the Alchemist lineup that I want to play is going to be you know, Midas, Flask, um, Vitriol, Catalyst, Mercury, and Hemlock. And a lot of people are swapping in Mist instead of Mercury. I still like having Mercury because Fire, fire is still a little bit more movement reduction, which I like. Um, and that's a team that really focuses on using those blinds to slow down players, to to maximize the... The mobility of a vitriol and a Midas and really just sort of outrunning everybody and it's a fun game to play but it maybe doesn't focus as much on you know the poison and the fire and it doesn't include catalyst to do his uh, intensify tricks and you know the so the obvious route to take is in, in game design there would be to make this alternate captain go in that other direction you know Right. um maybe maybe uh, improves the efficiency or the application or the durability or something of these condition effects to make that team selection and that strategy really shine and then you've you know with you know, with most of the same players, you've now got sort of two different teams. And for people who only have one or two teams, you know, for for me, changing play style just means I pull out one of the other eight teams that I have. What? But for somebody who has one team, these alt captains is going to be a great thing because they're going to have a whole different team. Oh, Absolutely. So yeah, definitely looking forward. You can't wait to get some more information on these these alt captains. You know they they've given us some little hints about what they do. You know we know that the butcher captain has the word bleed on her card an awful lot. We know that the the fisherman captain has some kind of effect that gets the ball away at range. And he's you know gimpy. And he's you know he's got those
1: two peg legs. Yeah, um that Morticians <laughs> captain, um yes, I think we that's have seen captain, right? She's she's
0: right, kind of right. Yeah, we we've heard that she plays a much more in your face uh aggressive game than than Obulus, but but no specific tactical details beyond that. So so I mean they've definitely give us given us some hints of what these new captains are going to do, but at this point no leaked rules for anybody. So um, yeah, they're you know they're they're doing a good job of keeping us excited about the season two players' art, but they haven't really given us anything to chew on yet. And you know, as much as as much as Bill and I advocate, just play season one and enjoy it. Man, I want to see those stats too. You it's know? still kind of cool. Yeah, it's still kind of cool know. to see that it's stuff. Exciting. That's exciting. exciting. So, all right. So that is, uh, I think that's the the news. And you know, honestly, that is not even all the news, man. This is good times for Gilball. So, um, so uh, match report. So I played a game. Yeah, uh, I heard oh, you had week. an AAR.
1: I do. I do have it's one. Complete so. reversal from the last two shows. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I needed to give you a chance to talk about how great Flint was. Oh, there we go. So, so this week I'll talk about how great Flint was because I played. I played my my beloved Masons and i actually we uh thanks to my efforts alone because rob still hasn't painted his engineers but through uh, a strange series of events i've painted my engineers so i made rob play with my my team so that i could just take pictures and have two fully painted teams on the table for the first time ever awesome. so that was a very good day for me that alone would have been enough but it actually turned out to be a pretty good game too so um so we had masons and engineers i was playing uh mason standard six um because i haven't actually painted tower yet because i got distracted but he's uh he's up here on uh he's right there so i gotta paint him and uh standard six against standard six just uh you know a nice straight up play and I'll say this game started really, really, really badly for me. I, I took the I took the kick and I had uh honor, mallet, and harmony working down the right side of the field. And just everything just kept going wrong. He uh Rob had Ballista just knocking my player. You know, whoever had the ball just kept getting knocked down. And um you know, uh, he had Walker and uh, Walker and Salvo keeping Brick totally occupied. He's finally figured out Brick because I've just been I've been running over him with Brick for for months, really. And he's finally figured out that if Brick is engaged, Brick doesn't do his little tricks. Right. So he is he figured out how to keep Brick engaged no matter how hard I tried to prevent it. And so brick might uh, brick might spend a couple games uh, letting tower do some work, so I can figure out some new tricks. Because <laughs> I was definitely not getting value from brick. But the preoccupation that he had with brick did leave the left side of my formation under uh, under guarded, and um, that's where Flint was. So Flint. Was quiet at the beginning of the game, but not so quiet at the end of the game because uh, he did all the work. So we had – yeah, so it just started – it was one of those games I thought, you know, nothing was working for me. My ball carrier kept getting knocked out. I was having trouble just getting the ball past midfield. But um, at the same time, uh, my opponent wasn't able to really do anything – other than frustrate me at that point, and I was still mostly maintaining possession. And eventually, just as as the game wore on and wore on and wore on, I got uh, I got a takedown. I, I went ahead and blew up mainspring with mallet. And of course, you know, it, because it was it wasn't a good night for me. I, I, I picked the right player to blow up mainspring because I brought him out with his three inch reach so that he wouldn't be uh, he wouldn't be caught by the explosion but mm-hmm. forgot about the the effect that mallet has where he shoves the player two inches and managed to pretty much push him right into honor <laughs> so I set Otter on fire. And <laughs> it was just one of those games. Yeah, so but, Honors like, dude, seriously, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> so she got really angry and shoved Ballista off the board. <laughs> so I was up four for nothing. He got a he got a goal with uh, Velocity because Velocity is almost as hard to keep from scoring a goal as as Flint. Um, I turned around, got uh, a quick goal from Flint off of the the goal kick. And then and then Rob made a a questionable decision about where to put the ensuing goal kick after Flint's goal because it bounced around a little and then ended up on Flint's foot. Oh, no. And it was also really close to the end of the turn. And really, there was only one player over there who could do much. So this is one of those games that came down to an initiative roll. I won the initiative roll, won the game. Um it was a uh, you know it, uh, pl- those gil- those goal kick placements are really really something that that uh, i think people need to to keep an eye on because the you know the, the, don't kick it where good
1: players are <laughs> you know we now, see we it, see a lot he, of these did he place the ball badly or was it you know sort of a decent placement from a strategy standpoint and then the scatter just screwed him. Well,
0: his intention was to put it within reach of the only player he had left who could activate that turn. Cuz at the end of the it was at the end of the turn he only had ratchet left to activate. Mm. Um only ratchet was anywhere near the spot, but Flint was a few inches away, right? And the so the ball ends up scattering badly and ending up in snap two distance of Flint. But you know what he was what he was trying to do is not put it down the other side of the field, where honor and harmony were now running pretty much free, having shoved ballista off the side of the field. And blown up mainspring. Um, you know, honestly, I probably would have just dropped it into the middle and hoped for the best because he still had he still had Salvo and and Colossus working in the middle against uh, against Marbles and Brick. So even if I'd gotten the ball, I wouldn't have been able to do a lot with it. So I think that there was a little bit of tactical. Misplay there. And we kind of talked about that after the fact. And yeah, I think that, that, that you know, at the end of the day, it was a, a bad time to have a bad role because Ratchet only had one influence on him. So when Flint ends up with the ball, yeah, it's not you can you're really in a situation that. where how are you going to get two tackles to get the ball off of Flint? So. That actually leads me to though the first Guild ball tonight contest now i 've been wanting to do a contest on the show here for a while because I think it might be fun, so I know a lot of a lot of listeners out there are interested in getting their hands on some resin base inserts that uh, the Kickstarter teams came with. Well, as as you may or may not know, I don't use regular bases. I use clear acrylic bases because that's a thing I do. So I'm not using my resin base inserts. So I thought, what better thing to do with my resin base inserts than give them to you? No, not you, Bill. You've got your own. Damn give it. them to you, the listener, <laughs> at home or wherever you're listening to this show. So... The prize for this contest is going to be a team set of bases, <clears throat> so uh, like uh, six 30-millimeter inserts and a 40-millimeter insert, and Excellent. I will send them to you wherever you are. So, here is what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a, a tactical situation based loosely on what happened at the end of this game. It's not exactly what happened because it wasn't as good of a puzzle, But I've kind of tweaked it to turn it into a good puzzle. Now there's a lot of answers to this question. What we want is the best answer to this question. So you're gonna send us your answer, and on the next show, Bill and I'll run over what we think the the best handful of responses are and declare somebody a winner. So here's the situation as, uh, as you are to consider. So, Late in the turn, Flint has found himself in possession of an errant goal kick. He's 15 inches from the goal. He has two influence, but zero momentum. Now, before he can score an inevitable goal, the engineers get an activation. Ratchet is engaging Flint on the away-from-goal side, so he's a little further from goal, but not blocking the goal. He has... Only that one influence, but he also has one momentum to spend. Now, only these two players have activations remaining, and there's no other players in range to affect the play. So how do you prevent Flint from scoring this turn? All right? So send your solutions to us. Um, Best way to do that is going to be to send them to our email address, which is guildballtonight at gmail.com. And like I said, we'll announce our favorites on the the next show, and somebody's going to get those bases. So, I will um, I will put the text of that out on uh, probably on, on Facebook for people to to read and pour over. So, yeah, think about what you would do in that situation. And all you know, all you've got to do is keep Flint from scoring in his next activation, and just tell us. The, the the most interesting or effective or creative or hilarious way that you would do that. And the one we like best, they're going to win. So that's our contest. Thanks. Thanks. Bill, you can't enter. <laughs> oh, no. But my daughter can. No,
1: wait. Uh... <laughs> oh, no, there's
0: There's all those rules. People would just accuse me of favoritism. That's true. All right. So. Uh so up next we are going to uh we are going to play an interview I did with uh Jamie P that's Jamie uh Perkins of um Guild Ball playtest fame and among other sorts of fame that he has. Yeah
1: apparently he's really famous for playing another game too like Monopoly or something. Yeah I, I don't know it's one of those games I don't play. I, yeah <laughs> so
0: so he's going to tell us about uh, he's going to tell us a bit about the uh, the the process of playtesting Gilball, and then he's going to give us some some tactical tips because he is a a well a uh, well respected uh, thought leader in war game tactics. and Let me tell you, I don't I don't know what I'm doing. I I I, I win on pure luck. So uh, yeah, let's go ahead and give that a listen, and we'll be back on the other side. All right, so tonight we've got a. Uh, Another new voice on the on the show, who most of you, I'm sure, are familiar with, but uh, it's the first chance we've had to to have him on the show, and that's going to be Jamie P, who is the the lead playtester for Guild Ball, and he's here to he's here to tell us about playtesting and maybe share a few uh, a few tactical tips for those of us who might be struggling to get a win now and then. So, welcome to the show, Jamie.
2: Hi there, Phil. Uh, glad to be here.
0: Yeah, we're glad to have you. So, so I guess that before we get started on all that, you uh, you do have a correction to give those of us who have maybe jumped a little bit too far into speculation regarding season two at this point.
2: Yeah, I was uh, I, I had a phone call with uh, Rich Loxham yesterday, and he, he okayed me to to say this. He knew I was coming on the on the show today, um, and. Previously I think was it did it come out in a previous show that they had mentioned it is that where the source originally came from
0: Right they had they had said at uh, an interview they gave at the expo That would it yeah that they were um, going to be doing 48 players in season
2: Yeah two. It, it's quite possible that uh, that one of them misspoke uh, because that was that was originally an earlier plan for season two. It's actually going to be forty models, just four right. zero. That is the number of models that is definitely going to be released for season two. So that should ah. put that rumor that should hopefully put that rumor to rest. Sorry to disappoint people. This is a lower, slightly lower number than expected, but trust me, there's plenty of really fun fruity stuff that's going to be coming all your way in season two.
0: Well, well, I, I look at it as eight fewer players I have to spend money on in the <laughs> near term. So maybe it's probably for the best.
2: So. It's not that those play- it's not that those players are going to be struck uh, struck off. They're just gonna be released later on. Very than, good. Than first plan, that's all.
0: Well and we won't know what we're missing. So
2: <laughs> that's true. That is true.
0: <laughs> all right. So you are the you are the game's lead play tester and uh, balance chief. So why don't you uh kind of talk through for the for the listeners what the what the playtest Of Gilball has has been like behind the scenes.
2: So we're currently in the earlier phases, or sort of midway through this early phase of the season playtest. This cycle has a couple of stages. So the first, what you remember is the the season one playtest. We went through a system of learning the game, trying to maximise the number of games played to increase our background knowledge, and then we sort of phased slowly into testing and modifying the characters now that we're in the season two play test we've got a lot more grounding we know what kind of level to work to and we've got a, a very straightforward structure in terms of how we'll bring players in so um at the moment i think we've got i think it's eight or nine players on our tables at the moment that we're looking at more specifically uh, and we'll try and get those players in as many games against different opponents as we can and we'll analyze their specific statistics um uh, so you know whether they're deaf and armor values are too high too low etc and then we'll look at particular character plays pardon me and we'll try to put them in situations where those character plays are getting used and then assess whether they're too strong or not we actually have discussions before the games happen so in case we can on any modification you know if something occasionally as much as we love um loxam and R- uh, loxam and matt they do occasionally throw some rules at us where we just go that's not even playable <laughs> um, <laughs> Terms of, not in terms of because it's not written very well, but because something is just a little bit too powerful or they've thrown it in because it's very fun. Um, but it, we, we're looking specifically at balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know those guys throw the game, we then try and balance it out afterwards. And sometimes we look at something that's incredibly fun, but we we have no idea how that would be played to a balance level. So we, if I and character plays before we play a game then we play a game, make sure we put the characters in situations where those characteristics are relevant um, occasionally we even modify players mid-game so it, we can, there was a situation with the new fisherman captain for instance when I was playing with Rich Locksum a game where we actually modified one of his character plays mid-game because it didn't work the way that he intended. the way he intended it to work would have been too powerful mm-hmm. so we had to change the intention of the entire character play um, we then finish the game, and then we'll talk about changes afterwards. And then we'll sort of bring it back to a group discussion. We'll try and have, um, you know, we'll have back and forth in terms of that kind of things. But we'll we'll always talk about specific players. We have even had hour-long conversations related to where a particular result on a playbook should be. Mm. You know, uh, in terms of how low the damage results are, whether they should be momentous or not, you know, um, how long the playbook is. Because usually a playbook is as long as their tax... Tack- if a player has tax six, they will often have six mm-hmm. uh, columns to choose yeah. from, but that's not, always, that's not always the case with every player. Um, we talk about every single detail of each character before moving on to the next one. So it's, it may sound like it's quite a slow process, But a lot of these decisions are fairly straightforward and easy to us because we've gone through the whole of the Season 1 cycle and we know the kind of levels we're aiming at. So we go to a player and we go, this guy can't have momentous 4 damage because it just doesn't fit with the guild he's in and we know the level we're playing to. We sort of make that decision quickly and we move on. So there's there's a lot of discussions to be had because we, we talk about the very specifics, but we're also getting quite experienced at this system that we're going through now so we can churn through these things fairly quickly and we will revisit characters so we'll go through all the characters together and then we'll revisit them later on in the cycle to make sure that we were happy with our decisions so we'd like to think that we're quite thorough
0: very good all right that's that's great
2: uh i'll talk you through kind of how the, the season one playtest cycle went when i was actually brand new to the game last year i think it was october um, early october time was actually my first ever demo introduction to guild ball and i kind of very quickly jumped into it uh, from there and we started the sort of the playtest in maine uh was probably the end of october sort of start start, start november ish time uh when we got the playtest group together which was myself uh david Harbord, who was the playtest leader at the time um Jeff Porritt, uh, Kevin Horseman and of course uh, Rich Lockson was help as well, um, and uh, occasionally Matt Hart. So, so four of us core in the playtest with and Rich together, and we would often we would sort of as many times as we could, we would just start building the general knowledge of the team because we were all apart from Rich and and Matt we still fairly new to the game, so we would just spend as many times as we could a Saturday together or a Sunday together or a week and we would have all of us in the same room and we would just make sure we knew as much about the game as possible, we were all studying the rules at home um, as much as we could, and then we just playing as we possibly could uh, just sort of building that volume up and that depth of knowledge. Um, from that point onwards we started to have a confidence in which rules we could start critiquing and we kind of sort of fell into the role of doing this playtesting So we started to realize which rules were not so great and which rules needed a bit of balancing and that kind of thing. But there wasn't really a a point where we went, now the playtest begins. It kind of sort of phased into itself from we were learning the game and we sort of phased it slowly into becoming a playtest cycle. We were sort of going through all the models... In, in the game at the time uh, And at the same time we were also playtesting The rules for the whole game it was, uh, you know to what, Rules for the larger game, the core mechanics Had been under playtest for a lot longer than we'd been playing the game This was entering its final phase And we were also editing rules for the core uh, As well as the, the players So there's a lot to do In a very short space of time But we just managed to pack a huge amount of games in In a short So as an example of how Towards the end of the playtest Your average day would be five of us together with Matt on Skype we'd just play a number of games targeting specific players in matchups we would talk about the games before what we wanted to see, we'd talk about specific rules that we wanted to change mid-game and after the game and then we would come to a conclusion and then sort of make an PDF document we were using to store the rules Mm -hmm. so there was plenty of discussion throughout and we would always focus on specific rules and try and give them a context of a match and situations in which they arose and if those situations didn't arise, we would play them again mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so we tried to do that across the whole spectrum of the game so there wasn't a, a huge amount of time for us to to do like there was much time as we wanted to do the play test for everything but we tried to get through as literally as much as we possibly could and we crammed a lot of stuff in yeah
0: well and it, it really does seem like you you did achieve a, a pretty balanced and uh, certainly fun to play game for the in the time you guys had so it's definitely a credit to to how well you were able to to do in that that period of time
2: thank you I mean I mean to be fair to to I mean Matt and rich gave fantastic game to start with that was the baseline yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we we just worked from from the from fantastic base that they gave us we just had to find a level that we're happy with. I mean, uh, myself, and specifically myself and Jay, right, we've got a, a lot of different... Um, not turn it into a brag thing, but a lot of, of, of awards behind us in terms of winning events. So we, literally between the two of us, along with the other guys, broke the game down in as many ways as we possibly could, tried to find as many combinations, and then we made a decision on whether that combination was too powerful or just powerful enough to make it interesting. And it's very difficult to make that distinction when you're sort of just learning the game. Um, so which was doubly important to get the, the just the volume of games in.
0: Yeah sure. And so how many how many games would you say that the, the playtesters have played at this point?
2: At this point, uh, it's difficult to say to be honest. We've lost track because we've started running like lots and lots of demos as well. <laughs> um I'd probably say it's getting close to equal. I'd say we're probably equaling the number of demos that we've done full size games and we've we've played a uh, I don't know. Basically I don't um I'm sure I quoted it a couple months ago that it was somewhere around 100. It skyrocketed past that, you know. Oh,
0: wow that that certainly puts uh, I think anybody else's uh, haul to shame. So what uh, you know? What, so with the one of the questions I was actually asked to ask you was how frustrating it is for you with the role that you have. To sort of be unable to get involved in the competitive play because I think everybody should know that you are a, a famously uh, active and skilled competitive player in other games, but this this role that you've taken on with Guild Ball is is sort of pushed you out of that with this game.
2: Yeah, I'm still coming. At, honestly, I'm still coming to grips with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I hear about tournaments going on and hear about events going on, people are I was just going to look forward to play some guild ball. And I see the tweets coming up and I see them on Facebook groups and people excited to play the game. And I just think, I wish I could be part of that. Like yeah. I'm so giddy, so giddy for the game, <laughs> but I'm just not allowed to do it. It's a barrier. It's closed to me at the moment. So like, uh, this, this weekend, I'm actually, I'm actually going to visit a, an event called Northcon, which isn't, it's, it's, a, con- it's a small convention in the north of England, which isn't limited to any particular gaming system. Mm-hmm. Uh, friends of mine that are coming down from Scotland that I haven't seen in a while, I'm be I'm honest, I'm looking forward to just playing some, it's not even a tournament game, just looking forward to playing some Guild Ball with those guys yeah. because I don't get to play much outside of the playtest cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the games I play are either demo games for people to see the game brand new or playtest cycles, where, games where we're play, we're testing something specific. So I don't get to sort of let my hair down, for lack of a better phrase. Right. And I'm just looking... I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> so, it, it, yeah, it's something I'm still coming to terms with. Um, I, I know exactly why um, I need to not play in tournaments. When When you're part of the creation of a game, you need to just sort of let the... For lack of a better phrase the global meta game um grow naturally and the community needs to you know grow naturally and they need to do that with as little influence directly from the makers of the game as possible we're already influencing the players by they're already influencing the player base by designing the models that they're playing with so we also can't really go too far in terms of like because the playtesters have played so many games Mm -hmm. we're probably at a state where we understand a couple more of the more acute power combos than other people will just because of that depth of knowledge. And we don't need to show that to the public people. We actually need to not to, because if they're going to discover these things, it's better for them to do it on their own.
0: Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and um, let's go ahead and, and transition to having, having just said that you can't sort of give things away. Let's go ahead and give some things away. So, <laughs> yeah. so, in, so some general tactical ideas. So, you know, one of the one of the things about this game being so new is that a lot of us don't really know what we're doing yet. And and you know, maybe that's for the best. I think that it 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 means that a lot of new ideas are gonna get out there, but you know, especially, you know, probably in in my case, some bad ideas are getting out there. So you know, somebody somebody with your with your experience and system knowledge maybe can just point some of us in some 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 general directions when it comes to some Some sort of high level tactical notions like one of the one of the questions that that I always wonder about is, you know, kick or receive like with the beginning of the game, you win initiative, you get to make that decision, you know, what what do you prefer to do?
2: Um, it depends on what team you're playing with, to be honest. Um, when I'm playing with my, I mean, my favorite team, um, when I am just playing for, for my own enjoyment, is the Morticians. I love the versatility that they bring to the table. And mm-hmm. when you fully understand the amount of different things you can do with Puppet Master, you can have a lot of fun. Just <laughs> think, to be honest, without even rolling any dice, just sat there thinking and just giggling to yourself of all the different <laughs> things that you can do. Um, but, but so for the Morticians, isn't it as an example they can do a wide variety of things whenever they're kicking or receiving the ball so when they are receiving the ball um they can pass the ball around to generate some early momentum and they know that the opposing team is going to be trying to close the distance as quickly as possible to get the ball off you and you can use that to generate opportunities to drag play in with you know using cosset with law and using uh, puppet master on obulus and you can actually get some early kills from their aggressive movements to try and steal the ball away from you at the same time, when kicking the ball to the other players, you can kick the ball towards them by using one of your players that can control enemies. So I have kicked the ball to an opponent using Obulus or using Cosset to put them in a more advanced position to drag a player in mm. to be killed early on. Mm. They, they're quite a dangerous team if you're not careful, the Morticians, because they can get those first uh, those first round kills with those drag maneuvers if it's set up correctly.
0: Yeah, they uh, well, they definitely <laughs> scare me a bit. I'll, I'll do that. <laughs>
2: yeah I'm, i, I am excited to play with them actually I, I i recently got mine back from my um good friend who's commissioned painted them for me mm-hmm. they they look pretty good oh they um, look, they
0: look great we saw them on the uh we saw them on the uh well, on twitter i guess we saw them and they were uh yeah yeah they're really nice they
2: were i got pretty good. giddy i got pretty giddy and i just kind of spam posted the pictures everywhere <laughs> um <laughs> well, but, sorry
0: I've, I've done it myself
2: yeah but but to go back to your question sorry for, so it does depend on which team you're playing with i mean mm-hmm. um I mean, it's sort of a more slower team like the Brewers is going to be a bit different, and it depends very much on your team's setup, but they, they find it difficult to get the ball back from an enemy team because mm. they are so slow. So it depends whether the play... That's the other thing. It depends on what team you're playing. It also depends on the mindset of the person playing with the team. So you could be a Brewers player that really wants to have control of the ball, and that you worry about giving it away to the opponent, so you want to receive the ball because you find it difficult to get back, because slower than theirs or you might be a player that's just going to go i'm not too bothered about the ball i'm just going to go and beat the living daylights out of them and i'm going to give you the ball because that means you have to try and get it past me right. so right. i haven't i understand i haven't answered your question <laughs> <laughs> sort of um
0: well no but what but the answer we do have there is that, that there isn't one way to handle that that you need to evaluate it on a team-by-team what, team basis.
2: What's great is that you can kind of really go into the think tank, and there can be reasons for you to do either. As long as you have a solid reason, then you can justify either giving a, a passing or receiving the ball to start with. And if it goes to your plan, then fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lots of scope for different choices. All right. Well, and
0: so once, once, once the game is going... Do you find that it is uh a better idea to to sort of play your game to just sort of stick to what you're doing and uh, let let things fall where they are or do you want to focus on disrupting what the other team is doing because I find that you usually don't have enough players to really do both at the same time so which 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 do you prefer to focus on?
2: Um, I prefer to... to, Well, when I'm starting a turn, I'll try and have one big main objective, whether that's, I'm going to get a goal this turn, or I'm going to take out this main player this turn, and I try to limit my tactics to those kind of choices, one big choice, because a lot of your turns in Guild because of the alternating activations, you're actually going to be reacting to what your opponent does. So, if you go and go, I'm going to destroy these two players, suddenly an opponent activates a player in a way you didn't expect, and that's throwing your plan completely out the window. Mm -hmm. So, you try and keep it more simplistic. Go after a one big player. If you get other opportunities that spring up during the turn, fantastic, go for them and try and plan around modifying your chances. So a good a good tactic for early players is to try and keep your influence spread around your players. Don't don't mm-hmm. give me unless it's just your mascot, right. try not to give players zero because it always gives you options for switching plans up mid turn. Mm-hmm. And it's a generally good fallback plan. If you're not entirely sure what you want to do with your turn, generally spread your influence around. And then you can always you can react better to what your opponent's doing rather than stacking them all upon your your more powerful players. So if I'm playing with the Butchers, for instance, it's a, it's a good tactic in some turns to stack up Shank. I love Shank. Shank is the best, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, Shank and Ox are two players that will often get a lot of influence because they can you can get a lot of work out of them. But that, in a turn where you don't really have a set plan for what to do with them, you can't react to when your opponent oh. does something unexpected. So in those turns, it's good to just spread it around.
0: Well, that's actually was going to be actually my next question was to sort of settle the argument that Bill and I have been having over uh, massing your influence or spreading it thin. Because I prefer to put... You know two or three influence on everybody He wants to he likes to build up A couple of players To do a heroic action And I tend to avoid that because of so many Cases where The flow of the turn Has left that influence Unspendable for one reason or another Either the player has been taken out or the play has moved away So I prefer to, to spread things around So is there a time When you do stack up influence When it's yeah, absolutely,
2: absolutely. I mean, I use the butchers again as a fairly a fairly good example. If you have one initiative with the butchers and you have ox in within charge range of a big enemy player, you do not love your influence onto ox first, and you have him take that player out because you've got the chance to do that, and your opponent can't do anything about it. Mm. Um, if you are the butchers player going second, and you are playing against the alchemists, mm-hmm. and you stack up all your influence on the on ox, going when I go second, I'm going to player out. The opponent could go. I'm going to take calculus. I'm going to blind dock so that he can't do that. Mm-hmm. So this, I mean, in the the initiative role is a big is a big variable in the turn that you've got to play around. But there are variables in the turn as well because I've had situations in game like I, re- I lost a recent game against Jeff actually, um, where I was playing with the Butchers, um, and I was trying to take out more of his players before he could score the last goal. And he provided me with a situation uh, very cleverly where I put my influence onto Shank and onto Ox because they were, they were actually, in this case, my two main players doing work at this situation but it didn't matter which player I activated first. If I activate, I was always going to lose something. So Ox was kind of protecting the ball off the left where he'd just come back onto the field and return to play. If I activated Ox first, then Shank was murdered in the middle of the table. I'd lose the four influence and probably wouldn't. I'd probably still lose the game because he was sort of my main um, main piece in the middle of the table that could do something. If I activated Shank first, then Mist was going to come flying down the table, nick the ball away from Ox, and scored the last goal.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I was kind of provided with the catch twenty-two. Um, it's because of the amount of versatility within the game. It's going to be there's going to be situations where that you can answer nine or ten different ways, and it's going to be a question of the the volume of games that you've gotten in. You will be able to answer those questions better because they are situational, and there is a context background to your answer. All
0: right. Well, so, so what's the best way to sort of uh, exert your will onto the game? You know, when, when, when you're sitting there, you know, across the table from somebody, you're, you're both trying to play your game. And, you know, what, we, what we've seen time and again with Gilball is that the, sort of the team that gets to play its game the most and the best, just because of the, the advantages that you get in momentum and in efficiency when you're playing your game, Really, out. So, I mean, what are some, what are some ways, just generally, to, to sort of get the upper hand, you know, regardless of teams. What are some, what are some good uh, approaches to that? Whether it's uh, on the board or even just psychological warfare.
2: (laughs) If if you can ever take the choice out of the opponent's hand or force an opponent to make a choice which is bad for him either way kind of like the situation I just explained then then you're then you're in a very aggressive and positive footing so if you're forcing an your opponent into certain choices then you are being more aggressive in the game mm. and you are in there by exerting your will so if you are sending players forward go and try and get the ball off your opponent he has to do something about it whether that means neutralizing that player moving the ball you're forcing him to do something
0: all right, so you know one of the one of the things that I often find myself having to decide when I'm playing is sort of how many of my players to devote to uh, just just neutralizing a single player. You know, is it is it is it worth kind of taking three players to to stop one player? Is it is it should you just not make that trade? Should you? cap it at two or even cap it at one i mean how many how many players is too many from your game plan when you're when you're working on another player's game plan
2: generally that uh, if if you're going after a captain model because captain models are that bit more powerful than everybody else Mm -hmm. it's worth throwing everything you've got at them if it's a captain model okay um if it's another player it depends on how dangerous they think you think that they are to you at the time so Shank. As much as I love Shank, when I'm playing against him, I know how dangerous he is. So he's on a high priority to be taken out. So I'm willing to devote more resources to taking him out, and I'm willing to lose more if -hmm. it means taking if it means taking Shank out of out of play. It's the same. I mean, as I say, blanket blanket high value targets are. Um, captains but there are other high value targets as well hemlock is another player that if she's left alone she's going to throw that blind bomb at at something heavy every uh, something big that you love every turn so she's another player that you need to prioritize uh if you're not so worried about a player like hemlock you're more worried about a player that's going to be goal scoring like flint who's dangerous unless he's you know trying to hit a barn door where i hear he can't do that very well Uh, but you know if you're if you're more worried about flint getting goals very easily then you'll want to take him out him out early and you'll devote more resources to that so it depends on how you've prioritized your targets mm-hmm. in addition to as i've said before the background the, 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 situ- the situation on the table and the context
0: all right and so what um you know so let's say let's say things aren't going things aren't going great for you you've got <laughs> uh, you've got players going off uh you know one icy sponge or two what do you what how do you How do you feel about bringing players back on? Do you want to bring them on weak and fast or stronger but slower?
2: Generally, uh, I bring them on quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, you don't always have to bring them and uh, make them an active part of the game. What you can do, is, if you really want to, it's not necessarily the, the way we encourage the games we played, but you can even, if you want to, it's legal to bring a player on and have them sit in a corner just to generate influence for you. Mm-hmm. They're not doing anything whilst sat there, but they are still generating influence to your pool and, and in, a, in a roundabout way helping your team. Uh, I find that to be more useful than to leave them off for a turn. That's not necessarily doesn't mean i'm necessarily right all the time um <laughs> i have left play i have left players off for two turns but that's more because it's an end game situation and if i bring a player on it's going to be an easy two victory points to the opponent when he- he's got a chance of winning from that okay. so generally I'll-, I'll bring players back on all the time there's other there's a kind try- can't think of the actual phrase itself but there's also a philosophy in in uh, in war games in-, in tabletop games in general that if you are well i'll tell you what let's take the most quintessential phrase which is the best defense is a good offense mm-hmm. so if you are having players affecting the pitch and you know affecting the game state and you know taking other players out regardless of how weak they are then you're removing tools from your opponent which is in itself going to make you safer mm-hmm. so if you have more players on the pitch to do that you know then you're in a in a by no way protecting yourself and that's something i definitely uh, prescribe to and i, mm-hmm. I believe it yeah the other thing as well is you, you can always heal those players as soon as they come back on so like shank can come back on as an example co careening across the table into somebody generates some momentum and then spend that to heal himself right. so they, they're not always going to come back on and die straight away
0: <laughs> at least you hope not so what yeah. uh, <laughs> what about uh, sort of field position do you like to hold players back or do you tend to just go completely all in on the other side of the field
2: Mm. There are certain players that I do I would hold back. Um, the, the glass, the glass cannon, heavy damage players. Uh, and when I when I say when I say glass cannon, I mean players that can't take a lot as much damage as they can give out. So mm. I'm going to mention Shank. I'm going to mention Shank again. But Cosset. Uh, <laughs> is another example of this as well. She's someone mm. that can deal huge amounts of damage, but she really can't take much punishment. So she's someone that I won't front line with. Um, I'll front line with somebody else like Graves uh, or you know the heavies Gaston and, and um, Casket people that are meant to soak up damage there are other players out there as well that are in similar states I mean I think uh, Harmony is going to be another one uh, where I know she's got the defense 5 but she also doesn't want to be the object of many people's attentions before she's she's had a chance to hit somebody so there are those glass cannon players that that you want to be sort of further back um Heavy players uh, generally want to be thrown to the front. I mean, that sounds kind of obvious, given that mm. you're they're heavy, that you're heavy players. But it's not always the case. I mean, if you're playing against an alchemist team with, you know, they've got access to multiple blind models, you don't necessarily want your heavies running out straight forward. Those blind models just be negated for for a couple of turns in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There are other players that are ca- I, <clears throat> I find a really nice use for general for general use players. So someone like Graves. Um, someone like mallet or hooper someone that can do decent amounts of damage um and it's also not the easiest to push over straight away i often like to front line with those guys especially when they've got the two inch melee range um because they can they can haywire your opponent's plans a little bit more easily than guys with one they're going to be able to do counter attacks from further away they're they're it's more difficult to avoid their counter attacks uh and they've also got a much larger parting blow range right
0: all right so let's um Let's talk a little bit about team composition. So uh, do you think that – do you generally feel that a union inclusion is good for a team, indifferent, or negative for a team?
2: i think it's good for a team um i i prescribed i, can't, I don't keep using this word prescriber i really shouldn't i really um agree with having lots of versatility as much versatility as you can pack into a team as long as you're not sacrificing um what they're best at so the most recent tournament that well the recent tournament that i, I that we ran at the expo there were a couple of engineer players that turned up with rage in their sideboard and that's an excellent choice for engineers because as soon as you drop rage into the engineer team you can start tooling up all those ranged players to do lots more damage and you've changed the entire way that the team works suddenly they're all about doing lots of damage to start with and then removing those players when they reach melee afterwards. Mm-hmm. Whereas the team, whereas the engineer team with outrage is going to be all about using those range plays to disrupt enemy teams and knock them down, push them back, and use those range plays to buy time to score goals. Just the inclusion of that one player changes the entire methodology behind how that behind how that team wants to win a game, uh, and I think that's why union players are kind of are quite important to probably include at least one in your in your whole team of eight if you if we're talking about sort of tournament teams. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's good to be able to have a plan B. If you can have a plan B and even have room for a plan C, excellent, because it gives you just more options when you're coming up to the table. So if you're coming up against somebody, I mean, the engineers can have a bit of a difficult time against the morticians uh, because rules like Puppet Master ignore close control. and You can have close control on velocity, but if I Puppet Master him, I can just get you to pass the ball to me, and they can have a bit of a problem with holding the ball sometimes. Mm -hmm. So if they drop Rage into that engineer team, and then suddenly they start blowing my characters away before I've had the chance to do that, you've changed up the game and you've given yourself an advantage where previously you were at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Um, what i'm just saying is versatility is a great idea if you can if you can afford it. Right, so right.
0: yeah. well speaking of sort of close control and puppet master and things like that one of the things that one of the things that i find is that if if i need to hold a ball i might as well have just kicked it to the other player. uh what what are some what are some general tips you can give for just keeping the ball, you know, regardless of, of uh, you know, which, which particular player is holding it? It really does seem like even those players who are, are allegedly specialized in it, it can be very hard to, to just achieve that simple task.
2: It can. It can be quite hard to hold on to the ball. Um, so, I mean, the, easy, the easiest way to hold on to the ball is to have it as far away from the other strikers, as, the enemy strikers, as possible. I mean, it sounds kind of, a- of daft and obvious, but it, but it is. Distance is your, is your biggest friend in this case. Um, alternatively, uh, I find it useful if I'm playing a game where I want to try and remove the ball from the equation as much as possible. So, against the fishermen, because the, fi- the fishermen need the ball to score points because they don't really do much in terms of taking players out. Um, I'll probably have it on a mascot because mascots generally move quite quickly and you can move the ball away from opposing players uh, and it also doesn't affect your battle plans in terms of taking the enemy players out too much. So you, mm-hmm. your mascots, unless it's princess, you know, you know your mascots <laughs> aren't going to do a huge amount of damage. So you can afford to have them away from the fighting and not and not suffer too much tactically for mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. They're also usually quite quick players, uh, the mascots, so they can move the ball around quickly uh, and without much influence expenditure for a sprint. You don't always have to make them pay them for the sprint. At the same time, if you're playing against somebody with seduction or puppet master, mascots tend to have abysmal kickstats. So it's Mm. actually kind of – their abysmal kickstats are actually quite a defense, a good defense against things that make you pass the ball to them.
0: No, that's actually a good idea. Now, how do you feel about the sort of the strategy of mascot hunting, though? Because I know that that was something that, that some of us were speculating on. Uh, a while ago given the the fact that they can't come back so you can sort of get an influence bonus you can get a numbers bonus i mean is it is it worth your your effort to sort of single out and and take down the opponent's mascot early
2: yeah it is i mean uh, you've always got to be careful with rules at like loved creature um uh, if you take out a loved creature early on the other turn you're really going to wish you hadn't um but of you've also got to remember that there are certain mascots that can come back, so Dirge and Mainspring. Yeah, so for for now, they're the only ones that can come back, but if you play against those mascots, obviously, you, you won't really... Mm-hmm. If you got on a limb to take those mascots out, you won't really have achieved anything because they can come back for a, mm-hmm. a, a relatively low cost and they don't, they're not worth victory points when they come back again. But yes, in other cases, if you can ever take out the mascot and you're not going to suffer something hugely d- deadly in return, like an early turn... Um, Loved creature, then mm-hmm. yeah, taking him out. It, it, playing the numbers game and being a player up is is huge. That's why um, me and Loxham have uh, have often talked. People don't seem to people haven't picked up on him too much yet, but people really should try out Avarice and Greed a little bit more. He's uh, he's not actually a player we've seen a lot so far, mm-hmm. but possibly that's because people haven't quite gotten onto him yet. So here's my here's one of uh, mine and Loxum's small tactical tips that people haven't tried yet: is try Avarice and Greed because even if greed isn't taking a huge active role in the game just having that seventh activation on the table mm. could be very very big because if you're going second that means that you are unless players obviously players may be taken out on the turn but if it's six on six and then you've got you drop greed down and you are going second with seven players you're guaranteed unless somebody dies to have two activations chain at the end of the turn mm. so you've you've got linked from you know honor and harmony you've just got it in your team
0: yeah, that that's uh,
2: yeah. So you don't doesn't mean it doesn't mean you have to do Avarice and Greed as those two activations. You just activate Greed sure. at some point and have him not do very much, and it's just buying you that activation for later on in the turn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's kind of powerful. Uh, at the same time, linked to that, you've got Casket that can remove a player from the game permanently. And if you get if you get yep. an early game Casket time off and take out the enemy mascot that can't come back, suddenly you're two players up, and you're getting that double activation at the end of the turn every turn.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Well, and that does, I mean, you know, as a, as a Mason's player, you know, I know how nice it is to get the, uh, the double activation and being able to get it with my choice of players is a, is a very nice thing as well. So, no, absolutely. So what, uh, what do you like to do with, uh, you know, when, when you're looking at your, your team selection again? Do you tend to pick a team based on your opponent or do you tend to pick a team based on your own strategy and then sort of leave it to them to fix the, uh, to fix the strategy?
2: Yeah, I see what you're saying. Do you, do you mean I want? Am I trying to cause my opponent a problem, or am I trying to answer my opponent? Exactly. Yeah. So uh, I think most of the time, just because of how, just because of how Guild Ball operates, in and in a, when we're picking our competitive teams, I think you're going to be better off assessing what your opponent has, trying to predict what players they're going to put down on the table. Mm-hmm. Then this is kind of a quick. You've got to do this. It's going kind to of, kind of a quick process. So you're set. You realizing what Guild they have looking at their players assessing what potential worst case situation is for you so thinking what do i really not want to face and then try and build a response to that that's the methodology i would go through in picking my team and it's the method it's the method i do go through in picking a team Mm -hmm. so what is the worst case situation for me what do i think he will choose and then what is my best response to that so picking your team is probably responsive i think in my opinion anyway um, but that's not a case. That's not the case for every player that you you choose, because I mean, players like Stave are not answering any problems, or mm-hmm. answering any, they're not answering any questions. He's posing a problem. So you'll put him in a team to pose the opponent a problem. But you'll have other players that you bring in your team from your sideboard that are helping you answer the opponent.
0: Right. So it's really so a it, mixture it, of the two
2: it is but i think it's primarily a response to what you're, you're you're facing you have to respect what is going to be coming across you from the other side of the table and mm-hmm. i think that's definitely going to be the that's always going to be the first concern
0: all right well i think that uh i think that that uh little batch of tips there should definitely improve uh most of our games a bit and uh i definitely appreciate you coming in and uh Sharing some uh, some strategies and tips with us.
2: Thank you very much, Phil. It's a pleasure to be here. I hope I can be here again sometime.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We will we will definitely do that. So that was our uh, that was our interview with Jamie P. And uh, I think Bill. Now we can officially settle the score on influence allocation and say we are both right and probably both entirely wrong at the same time.
1: Uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, isn't that how that always works, right? Yeah, probably. So. <laughs> So anyway,
0: let's go ahead and move on and uh we, we've got time for probably at least a couple of Twitter questions this week. So I don't know. That one question's gonna be a doozy. Uh, well we will uh we'll just go in the order I wrote them down. So uh Nate Zettel sent us the question if you could be a member of any
1: guild, Bill, which would it be? Okay, so so we're talking about any guild in the game, right? I mean we're not talking about the Podcasters Guild, which well, is coming in season five. Yes, definitely. And okay. uh so I, I have that on good authority. So so I have to go with the Brewers Guild. The Brewers? I, I, I gotta go with the Brewers. I mean big Scottish drunks wearing kilts. <laughs> well, okay, I can see that.
0: Yeah, I mean there is there is there is a fringe benefit to being in the to being in the Brewers Guild is that you
1: do get to uh you do, I would assume, get to to drink all you can. So okay, so so just look. This is this is the settlement here. Have you looked at the models? Please find me one model that doesn't have a keg or a bottle somewhere. <laughs>
0: okay, okay, fair
1: enough. Even You're all the drunk. little girl has a keg. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I can't argue that. And and it's you get to throw
0: keg. stuff at scum on a regular basis. So you yeah, know that's exactly. that's probably good. Uh, <laughs> you know, for my part, you know, I will resist the temptation to say that I'm going to be in the Masons Guild, even though I would like to bask in the glow. Um, I just don't want to do that much work. Oh man, I don't want to pick up rocks all day. Yeah. Uh, so swing those hammers. So, so you know that that kind of leads me down the down the path to maybe one of the more creative guilds. Uh, it's sort of up my up my normal alley, and you know, I'm, so I'm kind of thinking maybe alchemist guild, maybe engineer skilled. You know, they're both kind of they're both kind of in my window. You know, science, math, engineering, all the things that I do professionally already. And really, you know, it's just the you know, do I want to build machines or mix up things that'll probably explode? And at the end of the day, I think I just really would rather, you know, build Rube Goldberg devices that'll carry me around like some sort of uh, some sort of scary uh, robot guy. So I'm going to end up going with the Engineers Guild myself. So okay. Yeah, until they until they have the Web Application Architects Guild, that's uh, that's where I'm going to be uh, most at
1: home. See, and I really like the way this has gone. I mean, you've gone very much, you know, helpful to society and everything else. My primary source <laughs> is getting drunk, getting a good beer. Yeah, My yeah. secondary choice would have been butchers because everybody likes filet. No, oh, there you go.
0: So yeah, I mean, I think I think we can I think we can make some assumptions about priorities based on that. So <laughs> it's sort of a Rorschach test.
1: Well, and as they say on Twitter, it never gets tired watching Brisket handle balls.
0: Oh, man, there's a, there are jokes that don't die. So
1: <laughs>
0: the next question we have to <laughs> the next question we have is from Steve Price who uh, so he cannot seem to drop boar, but. He'd like to know our thoughts on if we would, and for who. Now, I can definitely see some. I can definitely see some options for dropping Boar, and it's it's going to be tactical substitutions, right? It's not it's not that Boar isn't great, and it's not that anybody else is necessarily better than Boar against a a a, a team of tackling dummies. You know, it, it's Boar's an automatic pick. Against an unnamed opponent. However, there are a couple of teams that maybe give Boar a bit more difficulty than others. So where where Boar kind of loses efficiency for you is with teams who are good at either keeping him engaged and therefore taking away his free charge, or teams that are able to really effectively limit his movement and in a way negate that free charge. And in those cases where Boar is having his 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 influence efficiency negated by what other people are doing. And so he's only bringing one influence to the table. You might have been better off bringing on a player who, who contributes two or three influence to the team. That you can spread around or use on that player you're bringing in. So... You know, the, the, the cases that I really see for that, uh, well, I mean, the, the, the model case is against Alchemist. Because while Boar can pretty much take down anybody on the Alchemist team in one turn, the Alchemist team, especially that Alchemist team with both Calculus and Hemlock, has a really good chance of blinding, and in some cases, both blinding and setting on fire Boar. And that's just going to make it hard for him to, to be useful to you. So if you wanted to sort of throw an alchemist, coach a curveball, don't bring Boar. Bring somebody else. Because odds are he's got the tools to to reduce the number of casualties Boar would have gotten in that game anyway. Now, another, another player who is going to be good at at reducing Boar's effectiveness is going to be Fangtooth. If you can put Fangtooth into Boar's business or, um, or Casket for the same reason, and in both cases it's the foul odor, you're, you're, again, limiting his mobility and also keeping him engaged by that same player. So that they're good players. And even Boar and Ox are going to have trouble taking down those players too quickly. So, you know, in both of those cases, I'd say you're not necessarily going to automatically drop boar, but those are matchups where maybe, you know, you sideboard boar and try something that might catch your, your opponent off guard. Now, I think the future for Butcher's selection is going to be more interesting because everything we've... We've been intimated about the season two captain is that she is going to really maximize bleed effects in some mechanical way that we've not had clarified. But like I said, the the cheeky little glimpse that we got of her card had the word bleed all over it. So there's definitely something happening there. And that means that your team selection is really probably going to revolve around the team, the players who are already setting people to bleed on their own. Which uh, you know means Meat Hook's going to have um, a a great future, um, and Boiler is going to be an auto include. It may be in that team you want to do something a little bit different. You know, we just don't know what that team is going to look like, but it may be a case where. You know, much like the alchemists don't necessarily take catalyst now, but he may be an auto include in a future under smoke. Maybe under the new butcher captain, Bohr is is not as important as he is during the Ox regime. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that I think the future may present more options for for real selection questions, but the present, I would say. Drop Boar if your opponent has the tools and the know-how to neutralize him because he just doesn't bring enough influence to the table when he's
1: neutralized. So let me give you a different idea, a different spin here. All right. As opposed to... I I completely agree. Tactically, dropping Boar to counter what your opponent's doing, right, in in reaction to what your opponent's bringing to the table is probably the best idea. Not dropping boar is probably the best idea, right? I mean, (laughs) however, Guild Ball and all of the guilds within Guild Ball have such distinct play styles, and the Butchers are such a beady team that you also may want to drop boar. Now, you may have to drop a couple other team members, but you also want to drop boar, If you're looking to play a Butcher's team that absolutely is throwing just a a complete wrench in the works or in the thought process of who you're playing against. Now, think about this team for a minute. We keep Brisket, because Brisket is good. We pick up Decimate, because Decimate has a 6-9 move and a 3-6 kick and brings two influence to the table. Mm -hmm. Okay? We pick up Gutter. With a 6-8 move and a 3-6 kick, who also brings two influence to the table. Mm -hmm. And then we pick up uh, Meat Hook. Mm -hmm. 6-8 move, 3-6 kick, only bringing one influence to the table. However, because of Smell Blood, because of Sanguine Pool, you have a model that can move around very quickly. Now, when you also look at Decimate, you have Second Wind, which lets you basically take a jog, take an extra move at the end of your activation. Mm -hmm. Now you have the, you know, you, you got your captain who's still very beady, so Ox is Ox. But now your other four players are incredibly mobile. Now, they're more fragile, but incredibly mobile. And able to get around the table quickly. And you have a bunch of passers. Mm -hmm. You have a good way to move the ball around. And I think a lot of people are going to have trouble readjusting to deal with that type of butchers team.
0: Yeah, and I think that it's going to be a... uh, That might be a fun lineup to play. You know, honestly, I think that might be a fun lineup to play, like, late in a tournament. When people, yeah. when like mental fatigue is kicked in and people are kind of on autopilot, and then you throw something crazy like you know you pull off you pull those players out of your sideboard and you play that that team, <laughs> I think it would be a fun team to play. And you know with Ox still in there throwing around his owner buff and and you know the ability to to get some crossover buffs, that team's still going to do a lot of damage. But it's going to be a team that's going to be looking at like a goal and four takedowns or. Or right. two goals two takedowns to win I mean it's a team that's got tools yeah. and
1: none of those none of those players are slouches as far as hitting right
0: no no decimate gutter uh yeah I think only brisket is is maybe not yeah. a uh, a takedown artist but she's she's a hands and out she's a couple of bucks was super shot. Yeah. yeah
1: I mean that's... so you
0: know yeah definitely I think that that's a uh that might be a fun little team to play and it's a you know it is an example of a of a team that doesn't have uh, doesn't have old boar in it. It yeah, doesn't have boar, and it definitely is coming at things a bit sideways. Yeah, I'd say in a mobility team, you might still want to find some room
1: for Shank, because Shank is
0: a super mobile player, but he just I, doesn't I, bring the kick to the, t- to the table quite to the degree that some of the others do.
1: Right, and that's the biggest reason I was looking at that. Yeah. I love where do, they go. Um, I think it's great. In fact, that's... There will be a future topic um, in one of the upcoming shows that you and I are going to chat about, uh, you know, what makes what makes scoring teams and what makes strikers and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I know we already touched on that a bit, but uh, sort of as a broader topic. But yeah, so there, that's that's probably another time, if I'm just trying to screw with my opponent's head <laughs> and I still want a good, effective team, I think that might be the way I try to play sideways without... Uh, bring a boar to the table. Merce. Otherwise, why not bring boar? He does what he does really well. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and that's that's like I said, I think that the only time you don't bring boar is when somebody else is that when you know for a fact that the other player has the tools and the skill to neutralize right. them. And the thing is, even then, like, even if you're playing against that alchemist team that's going to drop two blinds. Well, I mean, obviously only one on on Boar, but have two players who can do it. Every time you win initiative, he still gets that free charge because they can't put the blind up until their first activation. Right. And, you know, I've played that game. I've played that game with the with the double blind alchemist against Butchers, and I think Boar's still got two casualties. You know, he you can't win initiative every turn. So there, there may really be no reason not to take them. But, you know, one of the things that, that I really think about team selection in Guild Ball is don't play the same team every time. Right? You've got eight, ten players to choose from at this point. Try those other teams just, just for the variety, you know, just for the fun of it. So, you know, maybe see what happens if you don't take Boar.
1: Well, and I look at um, my local player, Francis. He doesn't like the big bass players. Mm. I, I don't think there's one that he, I like the, the models themselves. So he's constantly looking for smaller bass players that he likes that he can sub in for some of the bigger bass players.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So.
0: Yeah, and, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be just like strange aesthetic considerations like that that come along from time to time where where people just for some reason just don't like a player and you know there there's a couple of players that that despite how good they are I just kind of want to sideline them because just for some weird reason I just have a have a grudge and it's usually because of what they've done against me which means <laughs> that I should be wanting to play them more uh you know more so
1: oh uh, stop picking on poor angel
0: <sighs> yeah I know angel is Actually, it's both Siren and Angel. Like, I just want to gut the whole Fisherman team. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question, you know, and it can really be expanded, you know, to to any team. You know, take, like, the one standout player in that team and try to figure out what are you going to do without that player and how good of a team can you build without that player. And it's it's a fun thought experiment. You know, what is... What is the Masons team without Flint? Other than just you know, why to
1: Say, I think I have our contest number two. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, you can't, you can't justify it. Not in, in any way, shape, or form. But you know, what is uh, what? What is uh, Brewers without Stav? You know, what is uh, you know what, what's your next? What's your next favorite? Uh, what is <laughs> Morticians
1: without? Oh, jeez. See, I don't even know. Probably I, gassed,
0: I would say, is probably yeah, the indispensable thinking,
1: there. The gassed or the crazy slasher girl?
0: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, people People want to drop Cassette because she's fragile, but her damage output is just so so outrageous. I don't see how you do it.
1: I saw a discussion about that the other day, talking about the fact that she's far less fragile than you would think, considering she she's pretty easy to earn some influence with. Well, momentum yeah. With. yeah
0: she's gonna be able to heal herself back from crazy at least yeah. every turn and I think the trick with her is that there's there's an adequate number of players out there who can one shot her oh yeah. and that's where she that's where she gets tipped so yeah it's a, it's an interesting thought experiment you know take take your team take your favorite player out of it and uh figure out a way to still win anyway so i think uh I think you'll find that 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 sort of thing will only make you a better uh a better player for uh, for having learned some some new tricks and some new tools. So, all right. Well, I think that is that is all we are going to squeeze into this show this week. So, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for coming out tonight and having a talk with us, Bill.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, thank you, listeners, for listening.
0: Uh, yep. Yeah. So uh, we will talk to you next time. Good night, everybody. Good night. Knees up! Watch the knives. To join the conversation, comment on the show post at guildballtonight.com or email us at GuildBallTonight at gmail.com. Phil can also be heard on the Game Pumping Podcast. Bill can also be heard on the Gamer's Lounge Podcast. Check them out on iTunes. It is time once again for another installment of Ox's Poetry Corner. Get them while you can. Who doesn't want two of me? Go ahead. Get three. All right.